Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. The New Testament teaches most beautifully the difference between a spiritual Christian and a carnal Christian. The spiritual man is born of God and he now learns to live by God and he grows and he matures in the divine life. Where a carnal man, even a fleshly man, he remains predominantly in the feelings and rhythms of his flesh in the will of the flesh, in the will of self, in the self-ego, self-glory, self-will, self-way, where it's not the lordship of Christ that is preeminent, but it's mostly still I, me, and myself that's preeminent. And um, we can see in the book of Corinthians, for instance, how Paul draws that distinction And we can see the burden of God is that we move on to become spiritual people uh, versus carnal, fleshly Christians. And now the question becomes, can I stay human even though I pursue the spiritual life in God? I think you know the answer to that, and it's a resounding yes. Many of us as the Lord's believers, we erroneously think that life in the Spirit means you stop being human. You have no more intellect, you have no more will, you have no feeling, no creativity, no natural compassion, no natural uh, intellect or imagination or preference. And, And we think in a way a Christian at its best, at its highest, a Christian at its most maturest, if you will, is a person who's pretty much a robot and void of his humanity. Well, that is simply not the truth. And the person in the Bible, the person in world history that shows us how to live a balanced life between your humanity and spirituality is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was fully human, and he had all the feelings and all the infirmities of humanity. And he never stopped having that until his very last breath. In fact, I can think of nobody ever that has lived the spiritual life as vibrantly, as dynamically, as God-led as the Lord Jesus, and yet he remained fully human. But in him, we see the balance where his humanity served the divine life of God. His humanity was not in contradiction, or um, humanity did not rob from or diminish any of the spiritual purpose of God, but neither did the spiritual purposes of God render his humanity inoperative, ineffective. You can see in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, a marvelous account where the man Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to his father. 
And there he will plead with his father some three times, Lord, remove this cup from me. And you will see that he sweats great drops of blood and he's in fear and in anguish. And that speaks to his humanity. But the issue here is that even though his humanity had uh, feelings and fears and a will perhaps other than the cross, nevertheless, what made Jesus a spiritual man, what really shows us in this account how we should live the Christian life is that he gave up his will. It's not that he didn't have a will, but he laid it at the feet of God the Father. And Jesus came and he went out according to his custom to the mountain of olives. And the disciples followed him to that mountain. And when he came to the place, he said to his disciples, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. And Jesus withdrew from his disciples, oh, about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed. Isn't it interesting that the advice he gave to the disciples is the very thing he did himself? It's beautiful. In verse 42, he is praying to his father and he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Who is speaking in that prayer there? Jesus, and he is speaking as a normal man. He knew what was in front of him, and he knew there was pain and rejection and suffering and incalculable loss. He knew that it was death, and he knew that there was wrath and punishment about to be poured on him. So as a normal man, he just, in all humility, in vulnerability, approached God and he said, God, is there another option? Is there a plan B we didn't discuss? And he says, like, Lord, remove this cup. Is there another way we can do this? And he's speaking there exclusively from his humanity. That is, in your humanity, you will question. In your humanity, you will wonder. In your humanity, you will look for a plan B. In humanity, you don't want to go through the process. And guess what? It's okay. But in vulnerability and in honesty, he, knelt, he kneels before his father and says, Father, um, I know what's in front of us. And um, this is kind of like a big thing you're asking of me. And is there any way that you could exempt me from this process? Can you all follow with me? And when he was praying that and petitioning God, he was praying from a purely human standpoint. He was stating his preference before God. He was stating his desire as a man. Is everybody with me? But notice, then the next phrase, he states his preference and he says, God, I would love to figure out a plan B if we can. Nevertheless, not my will, but... And there then is the crucifixion. 
What happened within hours nailed to a tree, that was not the crucifixion. This garden was the crucifixion, because what was crucified? His will. But he had a preference. He's asking God for a pass here, is he not? He's asking God for an alternative. And he's, y'all should, it's, this should rock your world. It's okay to be human. It is okay to be human. And it's okay to say, God, I really don't want to do this. When you're saying that with vulnerability and honesty, that is the most beautiful thing you could do before God, is to be real and say, God, I'm afraid. I'm really struggling right now, Father. Is there a plan B? But then notice what Jesus does. There's a part of Him that knows what the will of God is. And He says, nevertheless, I've stated my preference, but Father, I'm going to choose Your way. There was the crucifixion. How do I know that? Because it says here in verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like drops of blood. That is, his inner being busted. The capillaries on his skin under the stress and the agony, it busted. And he started bleeding already. This was the crucifixion. And yet, there's no nail. There's no sword. There's no thorn. There's no mockery. There's no reject. There's nothing. What is the, the crux here? Will we do it my way, the human way, the natural way, the safe way? Or am I going to say, okay, God, I pick your way. So the crucified life is not a life where we are robots and we just do it God's way. No questions asked. The fact that you're struggling in a decision proves that you're human. And it proves that just like Jesus, we're looking for an alternative. Guys, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be unsure. And Jesus, giving up His will, He starts shaking. And the agony and the stress, scientifically, doctors tell us that people can come under such duress that your, your body physically begins to react from that stress and your capillaries explode. No wonder when the crowd in a minute would come to arrest him and he would say those powerful words, I am, and they saw him, they fall all flat, partly because he's the I am with that glory that probably came on that word, but also they saw a monster in front of them. Blood soaked, drenched. Can you imagine what his face looked like, hideous with blood? Like he started bleeding long before a whip. Uh, touched down on his back. And what caused the bleeding? Giving up his will. They see that monster standing in front of them. They just probably fell flat. Like, what is this thing? He was this grotesque, bloody mess standing in front of them. And what caused that? Just the giving up of his preference. So the crucified life is not a life of heart and blood and nails, it's really the issue is your will, because that was what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Adam chose to go this way, and your will then becomes the biggest battleground in the universe.
No, there is nothing really wrong with being human and serving God all at the same time. The issue is just from which sphere do you draw your supply and your strength? Will you predominantly draw from the human, uh, that is the flesh, or will you draw predominantly from the spirit, the divine? If being human was wrong while serving God, then we would say the Apostle Paul was 100% wrong in serving God. You see, the Apostle actually boasted in his weaknesses. He boasted in the fact that his, his humanity was weak. Um, in 2 Corinthians, that entire letter, for instance, you get a snapshot of just how weak the Apostle was and that he did not boast or trust at all in his humanity, nevertheless, he did not deny that he had certain fears in his humanity. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, he speaks about uh, how many afflictions he's been in and how many needs he had in his humanity, and he even includes the word distresses. And he says, in my humanity, serving God, I experienced a lot of distress. Again, in chapter 5, Paul would say, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted in everything. On the outside, there were fightings, but within us, there were fears. So it's not wrong being human. It's not wrong having the symptoms of humanity. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane showed us a perfect human under duress and stress. But again, the issue is, will your humanity prevail or will your humanity lay down and serve the divine purposes of God? And it's interesting that three times he is pleading with the Lord. Three separate times he prays a little bit, comes to the disciples, prays a little bit, comes to the disciples, prays a little bit. Kind of like an olive is crushed three times. What happens is you uh, put these olives in a basket. Then you have this uh, beam sits across it and you put one stone on the beam that creates weight on the beam and it crushes this basket of olives and that initial crushing brings out the uh, virgin olive oil then they put another stone on this and there's more weight and then yet a third stone it's almost as though three times Jesus is, is asking his father for a plan B and yet it's almost like every time it, it just increases no this is the way we're going. And it just it crushes the Lord more. And it crushes the Lord more. And then he says, you know, this, this is cup. You know, three times. So, from that I gather the following. If you wrestle with God a time or two or three about a thing, you're in good company. It was not just one crushing and the Lord was like, oh, okay, we're doing it God's way. That's it. It's as though he goes back and he prays again. He's like, Father, okay, let me get this straight. 
um, are you still sure we're doing this? And the father says, yeah, we're doing it this way. And he's like, okay. And it's like he gets crushed yet one more time. So, beloved, I see some of you that you feel like if you're uncertain about something and you've prayed about it now two or three times and you keep giving it to the Lord, you feel like you're missing something. Welcome to Jesus. Even with Jesus, he had to check back with his father three times and go over the same process. Lord, is this still the way? Yes. But y'all, our story is not finished. I want to read a little bit more in Luke 22. Verse 42. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then look at verse 43. I don't know if you've ever seen this. He had just been crushed. We presume some three times now, okay? He had just surrendered his will. And notice what happens. An angel from heaven appears to him and strengthens him. When he gives up his self-will, self-interest, God sends him supernatural aid. How good is God that He's not going to let you go through that crucible apart from His aid? Can I ask you guys, how good is God that He sends an angelic being or two or myriads of them to come and serve the Lord and to encourage Him? Now, remember, Jesus is the captain of the angels. He's the Lord of the angels. He's their leader. And here they come and they serve Him. And from this I get such comfort that when you give up your will, God will send spiritual help, whether they're from people or whether they're straight out of heaven, an angel or the Holy Spirit or any gifting of God. But y'all, I read comfort into that verse. Do you do too? Like, you are not going to go through this alone. We are going to strengthen you. Praise God. So even in dying, you are aided of God. Even when your will is given up and you're suffering and you're hurting. Guys, God is just ready to supply you. But notice, the supply only comes when your will is dealt with. That's why so many of us probably don't get the heavenly supply because we hold on to the earthly will. Okay, keep reading. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. And uh, he tells them, hey, get up. Rise up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came. And he who is called Judas, one of the twelve, was going therefore before them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And those around him, seeing what would happen, said to the Lord, Shall 
we strike with the sword? Can we defend you? Verse 50, And a certain one, that is Peter, we know that to be Peter from another account, Peter took out a sword and he struck the slave of the high priest and he took off his ear. Peter, here we go again. You are not mindful of the things of God, but mindful of the things of man. I'm going to be crucified, Peter. And oh, by the way, I am going to be resurrected. The Lord prophesies this. And He tells them over and over and over again, some three times that I'm aware of, I'm going to die, but I'll rise. I'm going to die. And here, you know, it is showtime. And notice still Peter here draws a sword. The other disciples, Lord, should we pick up the sword? See, they're still thinking according to the natural man. No wonder, no wonder they had no heavenly aid. They all ran. They could not confess. They all denied. No wonder they were cowards and afraid. Y'all, they had no heavenly aid. Why? Because they kept holding on to the self, the sword, the might, the power, my way, our way. Are you all with me? Here Peter picks up the sword, cuts off the ear, trying to defend, trying to do it man's way. And notice he's not giving up his will. He's not dying to self, like Jesus just died to self. And no wonder no heavenly supply came for Peter to confess Christ. When that little girl said to him, are you one of the twelve? He's like, no. And the Bible says he actually swore and cursed. I don't know this man. Without the heavenly aid, he, he could not confess. All the others ran. It's because they held on to their will. As long as you hold on to your will, you have no heavenly supply. But if you give up your will, just like Jesus did, angels came and ministered to Him. And here, they have no supply. They all scatter and ran. Why? Because that's all the flesh can do in a crucifixion situation. Isn't that interesting? So uh, Jesus uh, touches that man's ear and he puts it back, heals him, and you know the rest of the story. Bottom line, Jesus is a man. He struggles, and it's okay. Even Paul was a man and he struggled. He suffered. And it's okay. And, and you will too. But as often as you know the will of God and you give up the will of self, in that moment you will find a grace and a supernatural supply where God would say to Paul, My grace is perfected in your weakness. My strength is made complete and experiential when you give up yourself and you're on the way to crucifixion. It's okay. I'm going to raise you from the dead. It's okay. So I want to say to you all, crucifixion is not so much an issue of literal blood and nails. It's an issue. Will you do it God's way or self's way? And here then are the two main interactions with God. 
a surrendered interaction or a self-preservation interaction? Will you remain a carnal Christian according to the mind and thoughts of men or will you give it up and say, yes, Lord? I am so thankful to the Lord Jesus for showing me how to live a well-balanced life, fully human, yet fully in Christ, a new creature. And um, the Bible says, even in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus was made like all of his brethren, and he was tempted with the temptation that all of us face. Of course, the Gnostic cults of the first century, they all denied that Jesus was human. They said, no, you cannot have the spiritual and the natural uh, dwell in the same house. That is, you can't have the divine nature and the human nature dwell in, in one human, Christ. That, 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 that can't be. Because they reasoned everything that is of God, uh, the supernatural, of course, is divine and it's holy. But they... They said, no, anything that is of the earth must be evil. And therefore, Jesus could not have been in the flesh. Um, he was mostly an apparition of sorts. He was mostly a kind of a ghostly figure. But the Gospels testify unequivocally that Jesus Christ was a man. We were able to see him. We were able to hear him. The folk handled him. They touched him. And he was a man like everybody else. And in Christ, you and I can take encouragement that while he was human, he had some fears. He had some um, anxiety and distress, especially here in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane. But what is so beautiful in this account is Jesus showing you and I the way that even though we're human, Yet the spiritual man leans in to the divine will of God. And um, I want to tell you, unless you keep company with God, unless you and I develop, like the Lord, a lifestyle of ongoingly praying before our Lord and fellowshipping with Him, we will not lay a hold of the grace that we need to walk through whatever God is calling us to walk through. And that's the point I want to leave you with today. In Christ, we see a man of prayer. The Bible says it was his custom to go to this Garden of Gethsemane. It also hints that he got up regularly every morning to spend time with his father. And from that, we should not create a script and a formula. Ooh, it must be a certain way. From that, we gather Jesus, even though he was God, yet in his humanity, he cultivated a rhythm and a lifestyle of fellowship with his Father, of prayer. And I believe in prayer, he was able to take a hold of God's heart. He was able to touch the mind of God and grace was able to flood into his humanity to give him the courage and give him the strength to say even yes to the will of God. You and I have got to cultivate such a habit. I know 
that you want to live a life of overcoming. I know that you want to live a life of victory and breakthrough and power and a life of influence. But beloved, you and I cannot conquer that life through studying or through self-power. We, in a way, lay a hold of that life only through surrender. I love what the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry at one time said. He, he said, the very first lesson you and I will have to learn in following Jesus is the lesson of self-denial. Not the lesson of self-hurt and self-punishment and self-degradation and asceticism, but the lesson of laying down in surrender my strong will, my strong way, my method, my strategy, my strong ego, my glory. That's the very first thing any disciple of Jesus has to learn is to fellowship with God. And in fellowship, even maybe a little bit of wrestling, lay down his strong self-life and say, Lord, I would like it this way, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. A spiritual man does not hate his humanity. A spiritual man is not at war with his humanity. A spiritual man simply thinks of God more, consult God more, lean into God more, and therefore leans into himself less. It's not that he seeks the eradication of his humanity. It simply means that he seeks more intimacy with his Father. I want to encourage you, you can live the spiritual life only insofar you remain in fellowship with the one who birthed you into the spiritual life. God would not ask you to live the spiritual life he intended you to live unless he was also well able to provide you with the grace, the spirit, and the anointing to live that life. God birthed you. He's obligated to keep you because of him and through him and unto him are all things.